Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Welcome back, everyone. We are in our summer series where we're just hearing stories from various amazing first responders and frontline workers. I'm so grateful to join you again with an amazing guest, and I can hardly wait for you guys to hear it. Let's dive in. Welcome, Ash. It's so great to have you here with me. I'm really excited. I have wanted to have a social worker on to represent for that kind of piece of frontline work for a really long time, and we haven't been able to coordinate it until now. So I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. That's awesome. Okay, so... I want us to kind of chat about your story and and your experience of frontline work, kind of your perspective on what has been really great about it, what's been really mm-hmm. hard about it, and and any insights you have for those who are um, in it, new in it, and are trying to figure out how to exist sustainably in it. Um, whatever wisdom or insight you've incurred over your time would be fantastic. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, it's it's been truly a pleasure to be to work in Frontline. I, uh, right now, since four months ago, I have moved to a, to a kind of a um, managerial position, but okay. still, it's still fresh. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. Now, Maybe can you start by telling us a bit about your story? What brought you into frontline work? What brought you into working as a social worker in hospital setting? Um, and sure. any of the backstory there? Of course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I do have actually an unusual background. Um, I am a physicist. I'm a okay. biomedical physicist and a social worker. Um, so my um, so I started with physics. I, I got my um, Bachelor of Physics in solid-state physics in Iran. I did a lot of computer programming and all of that. Then I got a master's in, at Memor- in Memorial, Memorial University of Newfoundland um, in biophysics. So I studied, you know, some t- certain type of cells that you could actually study with magnetic um, um, field and all that. And that's basically where the physics come from. Kind of similar to the, to the cells that you can see used in mRNA vaccines and all these other types. Yeah. And then from there, I started my PhD in medical physics. I was studying, um, basically, you know, we all have these little tiny strokes in our lives, but they are one millionth of a meter in in diameter. So we can't Mm. really see it in an MRI machine. So what I did is I was trying to, uh, instead of taking one image, I took multiple and used my computer programming and physics and all of that to um, see if we can actually detect the magnetic changes that these tiny blood clots can make. And as mm. a result, we can predict if somebody will have dementia 10, 15 years down in the, in, 
Wow. Yeah, down on the line. So I think that's a very interesting thing because it can give people autonomy. It can give yeah. people a chance to choose before um, mm-hmm. they are clinically diagnosed. Yeah. Um, that's where I started learning about human brain, about how we process psychological trauma, mm-hmm. about aging, about all of these different intersections that play in, in our into our brain. And instead of you know, studying subjects, I decided to work with folks. And, and that's when I quit my PhD, um, worked with folks frontline with LGBTQ folks for quite some time in school system. Then I worked in um, in um, Calgary Communities Against Sexual Abuse, mm-hmm. uh, helping folks who have experienced sexual violence. And, and then I got my ma- bachelor and master's of social work. And in that work, I studied a lot of what I studied was um, basically masculinity and gender. Uh, how people process trauma based on this social conditioning of gender and what is allowed and what is not allowed for them. And kind of, can we open that up a little bit? So as a result, a lot of my work has been with, uh, in areas that hurt men end up, um, Mm -hmm. you know, um, homelessness, addiction, um, all of these different areas. That's how I ended up in the hospital. And then our unit Mm -hmm. turned into a COVID positive unit. So a lot of, again, trauma, grief, and all of that. And um, mm-hmm. then after that, I worked for quite some time in a geriatric unit. So a lot of it has, all of it has come together, aging and mm-hmm. trauma and, and then working with people frontline, which is, which is the, the true joy of all of this journey. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the longest story of how I got to frontline. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I only knew this one little snippet of your story mm-hmm. walking in the door. So this is really cool to kind of get the full backstory. <laughs> I had no idea. It's fun. And it, you're right. It is a very unusual story. You're coming from this very like theoretical place into the very practical, nitty gritty, very frontline efforts of yeah. applications of that theoretical kind of framework. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very it's cool. uh, Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's very humbling and very interesting. Yeah. I bet it would be a mixed bag. I'm super yeah. curious how you're like physics-based theoretical brain feels about being in some of the nitty-gritty frontline work on days where it is just a lot of like pressure and demand and people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, yeah, I, I was I was never kind of quite a good fit in that that physics side of things that mm-hmm. like, you know, okay. so I was always a people's person. That that part really helps. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, as a social worker, I think, it, being a physicist helped me a lot because mm. for so as social workers, we do provide a lot of frontline work, but within the context of systems. Mm-hmm. And it always helps to have that engineer mind of being able to put things in the context of systems and, and yeah, and being a grad student for quite some time, I'm very good with the spreadsheets. And as you know, with the demand of frontline, we all need more spreadsheets. Yeah, we all need <laughs> Excel's getting a lot of business these That's days. it. That's it. So yeah, it, a lot of it, I find that overall it helped. Um, but there was yeah. a lot of learning, you know, from looking at somebody as a subject of a study to looking at somebody as, a, as an equal and that humane moment, mm-hmm. and that spiritual moment that, that humans connect, mm-hmm. especially in a hospital when, um, when people yeah. are in pain right? Yeah. It's a very, very humbling and human moment, which is, again, to me, very spiritual. 
I mean, it sounds like you're able to marry some really cool pieces that I actually think are really important. I, and I say similar things in my work too. So um, I find that when I see a lot of uh, learning and developing clinicians who are like interns and early in their work, they often kind of come from one of two places. And I actually think I see this in the medical profession as well, where they either really love people and they got into it because they want to help, but they're not very good at placing the reason for why they're doing a thing into a framework for why that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so they, they really just want to like love on people and care for people, but they're kind of doing it left, right, and center without like a rationale. Um, or an anchoring to something that feels meaningful. And then on the flip side, I see the people who are really strong at having the rationale, who really like to see how things work and get the framework piece, but have zero people skills and don't know how to like bring that down to being like effective. And I I think I see that too in the medical profession where I see like the doctors that have zero bedside manner, but they really know how your brain and body work or like they they see the problem. They just have no ability to like connect. And then there's probably those who are really good at the connecting, but don't necessarily grasp fully some of the higher up level. And so it sounds like you're kind of doing this marrying of both things that I imagine would make you very effective at your work. I, I, I would like to, ho- I would like to think so. I would like yes. to think so, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but you know, the, I, I agree with you. I think there is a little bit of, you know, coping in that um, mm-hmm. when we distance ourselves from our clients and when we yeah. become the expert and take the role of the expert, put the hat on and don't want to feel it with them, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm yeah. the expert, I know what's going on. And and that distancing sometimes, you know, is, is a way that people cope to survive in this work that is emotionally exhausting. Totally. But the word of caution is we are working with a human, right? Mm-hmm. And they, are, they don't want experts. Sometimes they just want somebody who actually can sit there yeah, and level with connection. them and feel their pain with them. And the other part is like, yeah, people can actually focus on getting the work done and all of that, which is beautiful, which is beautiful Mm -hmm. to see that commitment. But sometimes, you know, we just drag people out of the river, do the CPR, go to the next person, to the next person. And sometimes we have to pause and ask ourselves, who's pushing these folks in the river? Maybe if I went up upstream and stop those issues that create these, Mm -hmm. these struggles, you know, a lot of my work around masculinity was exactly this. Mm. Instead of focusing on, not instead, actually, in addition to focusing on providing service to people who have been hurt, we have to stop people who are hurting others. We have to stop people who are, in in other words, pushing folks down. Yeah, we need to intervene earlier. Absolutely. So a lot of the work that that I've done was around like working with young men in particular about challenging Mm. the idea of what it means to be a man. Yeah. challenging the you know like kind of building the idea of consent and all of this stuff to stop the harm before it happens mm, and uh, I, I kind it. of feel like yeah my physicist mind goes there for for healthcare as well there's a lot we can do for people if they have better housing if they have access mm-hmm. to insulin if they have you know if they mm-hmm. if somebody lives in an emergency shelter for two years that was meant to be an emergency their brain is in the state of emergency for two mm-hmm. years what does that do to the brain what did that do to someone's coping and all the issues that it caused? We traumatize people. And that's my thing. We got to, we got to go upstream and stop folks from pushing folks down the stream. Yes. But you know, yeah. (laughs) I mean, 
no big problem to solve, right? Like yeah. easy peasy. Uh, <laughs> so, <Just> okay. <laughs> right. Like exactly. just no big deal. Just yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you imagined entering into social work, given that you came from a background that is like a bit of a different place to come from to enter yeah, into that kind of work. For sure. What did you imagine it was going to be like? Like, what did you anticipate was going to bring you satisfaction? And then what did you think the challenges were going to be? What were your predictions mm-hmm. about that? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, I, I I think I was naive for, for quite some time, and I didn't think how much paperwork would be involved in social work. <laughs> <laughs> Those forms Great. back to yeah. back. Oh yes. my goodness! Just, True story, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I didn't expect that. There's yeah. a lot of paperwork, um, but but you know, I I I really didn't know because again, it, as you know, social work is just such a such a broad field. You can do one-on-one counseling and provide mm-hmm. healing in that that environment. You could, you know, I'm I'm more on the practical side of social work. Sometimes I just mm-hmm. like you know get 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 which again makes sense from my background as well. Yeah find the systems, find, find things, get things done and all of that as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of times it's, uh, that's, that's what I enjoyed about social work. The fact that you Mm -hmm. could do it your way and you could do it in so many different ways. Hmm. Um, you know, this, the surprise, uh, to be honest, one of the biggest surprises I've had since I started working in a hospital is how much uh, a lot of the newer doctors and residents appreciate social work. I didn't expect. I didn't expect that. I didn't yeah. expect folks to actually sit down and try to consult with you as as an equal provider, as an equal member mm-hmm. of the team. And I and I mm-hmm. really really admire that. I think mm-hmm. we have gone to the place to understand counselors, uh, occupational therapists, physios, nurses, yeah. dietitians, social workers. We all provide in our own way. Yeah, I'm Persian and I speak Persian, so I, I want to just quote Rumi. It's like, you know, it's like a p- small piece that says, "The moon spreads light. It's it lightens the moon spreads light. Sorry, the moon spreads light. It lightens the meadow and makes the dogs bark. Everybody mm-hmm. weaves the dress that fits their nature best. Mm-hmm. The moon spreads its beauty and the dogs fulfill their duty." Mm-hmm. I think we need to realize that we all contribute in our own way in this grand scheme of things. And all yeah. of us have something to do to improve patient care, to improve people's lives around us. And I love that that is the surprise. Yeah. I, I would be surprised <laughs> by that too. And it's yes. a good surprise. Like it's I think a very it's, good surprise. It's very common in these kinds of industries that everyone is kind of pulling their own direction, but we're not necessarily pulling together. And it's really cool to experience places where, no, we're actually like pulling together. We're complementing each other's work and we're collaborating and moving this in a direction that feels cooperative and meaningful for all of us. Bringing the best of what I do, the best of what you do and moving that together. That's magic. Absolutely, absolutely, I, and I, and that's what I really love about my my, my work in, front, in the front lines, like being able to mm. work with folks that are brilliant. Like yeah. if we think about all these expertise that they are bringing to the table, all these mm. education, all these experiences to provide good care for the patient, right? Totally. And I just really, really love that focus on on mm-hmm. making people's lives better, making improving their health, and yeah. working together as a team. Yeah. 
Ups and downs, but yeah, I feel like I'm going to get a lot of emails asking where you work so that people can come there too. Because <laughs> um, I don't know that that is as common of an experience yeah. as I wish it were. I Absolutely. think that that's yeah. unfortunately still a thing that's coming. Although I'm always excited to hear that it sounds like it's coming more. Like the stigma around mental health, the stigma around like homelessness and Absolutely. addictions and some of these pieces is changing, right? Like we're starting to have a better understanding of like a traumagenic kind of understanding of these things that people mm-hmm. don't just become addicted out of the blue. People don't just become homeless out of thin air that like experiences shape the direction of the things and we can intervene differently and differently strategically. Yeah. And I think as that's coming, there is more uh, possibility for teams like this to exist that Absolutely. do see the value in the complementary ways that we can engage in our roles. Mm-hmm but it's still a little there. It's still coming. It's still a work in progress. (laughs) A work in progress. Which is exciting, right? Because that basically means we all get to play a role in it. If it was already made, made, if it was already done, then we wouldn't be able to actually shape it and mold it the Mm -hmm. way we want. That's why I love progress in general. We all Mm -hmm. get to play a role in it. It's that co-creating kind of piece, right? Absolutely. Like we're all we're all a role in in shaping and and making it what we're going to make it. Absolutely. And I love when we can anchor to that. Like I think that sometimes the challenge with things like burnout is we are so tired of having to contribute mm-hmm. to making it different. We just want to get there and have it be different because this is exhausting. But when we can recognize that this process means we have some ownership in in um, crafting what the end result will look like. I think we get to have a different sense of power in it instead of powerlessness to yeah, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's uh, especially for a lot of folks who are in this field, who whether they were drawn to this field to frontline work because of their histories of past trauma, or they just were in the field and exposed to so much trauma. I think yeah. that piece of feeling a little bit of control over the process mm-hmm. um, it is huge, right? Because yeah. trauma like the core concept is lose loss of power. Yeah. Right. And when we actually empower people back and say, actually, you know, yeah, it's not perfect, but you do have a role in it. That's yeah. why I applied for this like other like kind of managerial position in, in this in, a, in an institution where most of the managers are medical people. Mm-hmm. Because I think we social workers, dietitians, whatever, allied health counselors, all types of healers, mm-hmm. we have to take ownership of the healthcare system too. It is our system. Yeah. Whether we want it or not, we're going to go to these systems as clients, as um, patients. So we better actually mm-hmm. go to decision-making positions and make a decision. Yeah. This is my system as much as it is doctor's system. And, I, and I'm ready to take it. And I'm ready to you know, oh, take okay. my, my, uh, my space and actually yeah. try to contribute because I think healing people from a social perspective, from a mental health perspective matters. Yeah. We are we don't live in a society where people get injured, come to the hospital, they're medically healed and they leave. Mm-hmm. There is a lot going on in people's lives and we have to be there for them to provide that yeah. holistic care. But yeah, that's where I'm coming from. I love it. I mean, I think that you're like speaking to this piece that my heart loves so much. Um, we did a series last year, last spring called the Dare to Lead series. And it was mm-hmm. essentially, uh, we were following Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. And we were walking through the basic principles of what she describes in the book. And the effort was this piece about like, 
the one of the primary challenges I hear as a clinician who works with first responders and frontline workers is that the thing that is taking people out of the work the most actually mm-hmm. has very little to do with the um, frontline engagement and more to do with the bureaucratic systems that yeah. feel like they just squeeze them dry until they can't anymore. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. you're nodding like you totally know that that's yeah. real. Um, cause it is. And so Absolutely. we did this dare to lead series because I kept saying like the challenge is, is we can't change it. Like we can't, we can't, um, convince the people who are already in those positions to just be different. We have to become the change we want to see in the world. So we need to become leaders who are aware of mental health, who are aware of burnout, who speak this language, who grasp the concepts. And then we need to be willing to move up into the positions that then filter that down to make the change. And so we talked about this as this idea of like, how do we raise up a generation of leaders who are informed differently? and anchored differently to these pieces mm-hmm. to shift it. And it's exactly what you're doing. That's yeah. so cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, 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 I agree. I think it's it's very important for, for us, for frontline workers, to be uh-huh. in leadership position because we've done the work. So when yeah. my staff right now that I'm like in a manager position, so now I'm, I'm the manager for all the social workers and dietitians in, in the area that I've worked in, mm-hmm. um, but now when my staff email me, when, when folks email me and ask for time off uh, or when they call sick, I, I know kind of yeah. what's going on. I know the stress yeah. and pressure of that, that totally. work. I know that you give your job everything you've got and then you go home and you have nothing left and just want to yeah. sit on the couch. I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, so I really, I can empathize with them. You know, I, yeah. I can actually see that they are carrying some of that pain from our clients. You know, I am humbled, mm-hmm. humbled, humbled by the nurses, by the folks who have been working throughout the pandemic. Yeah. Very, very frontline, very frontline. These folks have been carrying, you know, the, the, the burden of the pandemic. No, I don't want to call it the burden, but the, the pressure of the pandemic. They've been yeah. facing it front, you know, front and center. Yeah. Totally. So um, being... You know, us being administrators later on, we can be in a position to support folks and we can, you know, just do the boring, you know, work up change, sitting in committees Mm -hmm. and writing policies, not exciting, but that's how change happens sometimes. (laughs) But even it is how change happens sometimes. We had an interview um, with someone else a couple of weeks ago. And they were sharing about how, you know, to take a day off. And it was kind of like, I saw some really hard things yesterday. And I just, I can't, I can't do well for people today, given what I have lived through. And I just need a beat to get back together. And their employer required a doctor's note to legitimize that day off work. And that is grounded in policy that makes that employer ask for that. But even to be able to shift some of those policy-based expectations to adapt and recognize that people do get to say, I need a beat because I can't do right by the people you're asking me to serve and to reduce the pressure points on them to have to feel like they justify or prove themselves as being sick enough to call in that day when they've been showing up for overtime left, right, and center to manage all of these staffing issues, right? Like how do we balance it? How do we as leaders offer some buffer? And 
I, I will get that to that in a second, but you know, yeah. exactly to add to what you said, you know, that also talks about validating illness only from one perspective, yeah. only from one medical perspective. Are you sick enough for your doctor to write the note versus are you sick enough for your counselor to say, I think, yeah, you need to take, take a day off. Mm -hmm. These are two separate things and come from two different um, values, like systems of value, right? Yeah. And we have to hold both of them to the same to the same level yeah. um, because one already has incredible power. Um, mm -hmm. And speaking of power, I think that's what I see my role as, as somebody who's in a place of a position of leadership right now. I have a little bit of power, not a lot of power yet, sure, <laughs> but yeah. a little bit, but more than I did before. Right. I, yeah. I sit in meetings that I wasn't invited to attend before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what it comes from. We need to be ready to take mm -hmm. some heat on behalf of others. Yeah. We need to be able to say, you know, I'm going to stand up for my staff because they need to take a day off for mental health. And if that means the organization or whatever organization has to spend a little bit more money, sure. Because I think these mm -hmm. folks are worth it. Yeah. You know, the yeah. biggest asset any organization from a small nonprofit to a huge hospital have is their staff. Yeah. The most expensive thing in a hospital is not the MRI machine. Mm -hmm. It is not the building. It's the yeah. staff who are running it. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, run with, without a lot of the hardware things, but we cannot run a yeah. day without nurses. So yeah. we need to actually start treating mm -hmm. folks differently because otherwise yeah. they don't have to work for us. They don't have to work in, well, a, in these thing. environments, right? Well, and I and think that's humans. the thing that we're seeing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, what we do is that that's not going upstream, right? Because mm -hmm. we shouldn't create more clients, more patients by burning out the folks who are working in the system. Because yeah. that way, we are just pushing them down the river for somebody else. They become somebody totally. else's problem. Sorry, yeah, not we're problem, just feeding it into our own system. Yeah, that's it. Totally. We are bringing people back. And I think that's part of the issue. We need to recognize that we got to go upstream. We need to look at 10 steps ahead mm -hmm. rather than yeah. who's my client right now, what I need to do right now. These folks are, you know, are yeah. the, as the biggest asset that we have. And we have to treat them as, as such. Ash, we need more yous in the world. That's what we need. It's so good. That's very kind it's of so you. No, good. I am... no, it's that framework. It's 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 absolutely that framework. And I think one of the challenges I see is some of the like older school managers and bureaucratic systems kinds of people who end up in those positions don't tend to have that framework. And even when they have done the job, they almost like lose empathy as a result yeah. of that rather than carrying that empathy in i've done it and, so you have to do it too <laughs> right like it's the yeah. grunt work it's how you pay your dues like that kind of bs piece yeah. sucks and then yeah. there's also this like kind of power piece that gets to people's heads and once they're in it they have a hard time kind of seeing the forest for the trees anymore Absolutely. yeah and, and, and i think that's it right? like we have to stay true to what brings us to this work and yeah. for me, it is public service. Uh, mm. I, I'm imperfect, uh, like ev yeah. like the person next to me, all of us, right? But the thing is, who am I there to serve? Am I there to keep mm -hmm. the status quo that is not functioning? The COVID yeah. pandemic showed us very clearly that we have big, big gaps. Before mm -hmm. that, there were a lot of other things too, right? Like, am I there to make a positive change? And I'm not there forever, in no yeah. position. Everything in life is temporary. And that's, that's the, the way I cope with the pain of sometimes existence and frontline mm -hmm. and everything. Being like, yeah, everything in life is temporary. No mm -hmm. pain will last forever. Yeah. Um, and, and no moment will. 
right? As hard as it might be. Um, but can I make sure that in that temporary time that I am put in charge, I am put on that desk, on that behind that desk, can I make sure that I give something a little bit better to the next person and then they can make it even better? Hmm. Can I improve it just a little bit? Whatever my yeah. contribution is. Yeah. I sing my own song and the next person comes out and yeah. sing their song. And the beautiful, the beauty of this world is that some songs will be remembered. And I hope mine will be remembered too. Mm. <laughs> I love it. You guys have heard me talk about the Beating the Breaking Point Resilience Training Series on this show a bunch of times before. For the next two weeks, we are offering this program at a significant discount, and I hope that you'll take us up on the opportunity to join in, check it out, and develop a really bomb-proof resilience program for yourself, a personalized skill set that you can use to help manage burnout and support reducing risks for things like PTSD and other occupational stress injuries. It is an amazing program that I poured blood, sweat, and tears into in an effort to make it all of the pieces that you miss in your training that are really key to be able to manage your mental health and wellness while doing a job that is impossibly hard. So whether you are early in your career and you want to be preventative, or if you are in the midst of it and you are teetering on burnout, or if you are already well down the burnout trail, this program offers something that will benefit you. It will help you build skill sets to build back or build up resilience capacities that you may not have thought of before. My hope for you is that you will take us up on this opportunity to check it out. We include things like a full money back guarantee for a period of time to ensure that what you get feels like it meets your needs. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. We also offer this training program for large groups of people, for staffs and workplaces. So reach out and connect further if you want to know more about that. Our $100 off deal on the Beating the Breaking Point program is available from Tuesday, July 5th, all the way until 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Thursday, July 14th. You have until then to sign up and enjoy this amazing deal and take this opportunity to invest in your wellness for your benefit and the benefit of those who care about you as well as those you serve and serve alongside. And as always, I so appreciate if you would share this with others. (laughs) I'm curious on the really hard days, the days where you've been exposed to some hard things on the days that it feels hard to, to feel anchored to some of those hope Mm -hmm. points Mm -hmm. and, um, kind of truths that you ground to what helps you stay connected to that? What helps you come back to it? Um, that's a good question. Yes. There are a lot of, a lot of hard days, a lot of days that are beyond any human's capacity to take. Mm -hmm. We are not hardwired to hold a tablet to become the embodiment of somebody's family. So the family can say, goodbye to their loved one because there's a pandemic and there's no vaccine for it but sometimes we have to absolutely there is no choice and i would much rather be that person Mm -hmm. right than not how do you cope with it it's 
you know, first is being real about it. And the fact that yeah. this is beyond any human's capacity. So if yeah. I'm reacting the same the, the way that I'm reacting, that's normal. That's how a human mm-hmm. is supposed to react and not buy into this um, savior culture of I have to sacrifice mm-hmm. myself to save other people. I am no one savior. Yeah. I, I am a flawed individual myself. Mm-hmm. I need a savior myself. Um, yeah. So I think it, it's approaching it with that humility and recognizing mm-hmm. that, yeah, p- the pain is real. I am privileged to be able to live in Vancouver. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, space, a lot of places that I can go and be close to nature to remind myself of the bigger picture. That's where my spirituality comes from. Recognizing mm-hmm. how the forest, everybody's contributing in their own way. And it has been there for millions of years, way, mm-hmm. way before I was there. Um, yeah. Just put things in perspective. <laughs> totally. um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's, a, it's a, you know, drawing on, my ancestral wisdom too, and reading, reading Rumi or playing music, do whatever heals you. But first yeah. thing for me is recognizing that I need healing. Hmm. You know, there is a harm done. But every, every yeah. time, every time that I have to send a client to a shelter, there mm-hmm. is a harm that I take. It's, it's yeah. never good news. It, yeah. Sleeping in a mat in a warehouse is never dignified. And, I, and it hurts mm-hmm. me that we have a society that some mm-hmm. people have to live this way, mm-hmm. right? But first thing, recognizing that when we are next to other people who are harmed, we are also harmed. Again, another piece of Persian Persian poetry that ancestral wisdom is, is talking about how basically like us as humans, we are different parts of the same body. If mm-hmm. one body part aches, the other ones will become restless. Yeah. We cannot see ourselves as individuals separated. We are all yeah. connected. At the end of the day, when I see the pain of another person, mm-hmm. I get impacted. And mm-hmm. being real about it, especially because a lot of time that goes against the social order of gender mm-hmm. <laughs> for people, right? Yep. Being able it. to go beyond it and actually recognize the pain and, and process and deal with it and sit with it. Um, mm-hmm. For me, that's the most important thing rather than pushing, pushing, yeah. pushing, and then I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I think you're naming this really important thing that we've talked about on this show quite a lot, which is really that fundamentally the hardest part of most things, including therapy. And like, certainly that's the hardest part of my job. And I think the hardest part of solving any problem is first having awareness of the problem. Like if we avoid naming it, if we avoid calling it a problem, then we can't fix it. Right. And so having awareness that this impacts me, being willing mm-hmm. to identify and own that this is true um, without like judgment yeah. or, you know, fear that that means that I'm somehow weak or, you know, incapable or whatever is, is the biggest, hardest part of the job. Absolutely. And right. And from that flows the capacity to then potentially do something with it and try to be intentional about how we interact with it. But it starts with that piece. And I often say on this show that the challenge about frontline work, you said it too, that like no one's hardwired for this. And so the thing I often say is nobody comes out unscathed. Um, there is no brain ever created, ever yeah. born that is made to do the things that you guys are doing and see all that you see and remain unchanged by it. It's not possible. Yeah. Absolutely. So when we know that, when we like normalize that, then we take some of the pressure off of somehow being required to somehow be better than our brains were made to be 
Absolutely. There, there is no better. This mm-hmm. is it, right? And and we just have to, you know, it's like instead of trying mm-hmm. to squeeze people to, to fit into a box that was not made for them, we mm-hmm. have to change the box. We have yes. to, you know, sometimes um, th- I think that's the most important part. We have to just mm-hmm. change the way, as you said, the way we look at it. And right back at you, same thing, you know, yeah. when um, you folks, the counselors, when they s- sit in that room with us and hear so much of the trauma, things that sometimes people haven't disclosed to anybody else, mm-hmm. there is, uh, you know, um, th- th- there is that secondhand trauma. There is that vicarious yeah. trauma, right? And un- again, unless we get real with it and recognize mm-hmm. that whoever you are, whatever your yeah. social location is, nobody mm-hmm. is hardwired to do this. without being severely impacted by it and there's plenty of science to prove that too it's Mm -hmm. you know it's you're not broken you're not flawed if if you are aching if you're frontline and you're struggling um if i could do things all over again the only thing i would do differently no a lot of things i would do differently but one of them would be (laughs) reaching out to others because when i did um authentically with a with an open heart to actually hear their side of pain and story as well mm-hmm. then i started realizing it's not just me but mm-hmm. we are all sitting in these i you know silos being like oh it's just me maybe i'm yeah. not strong enough no totally. it's all yeah. of us who are hurt by the pain of other people and yeah. um, you know and for me there is a lot of we, we are familiar with power over which mm-hmm. is the primary way of power being administered in our society people have power and they have you know, um, ex- kind of express it over somebody. But but this is about power with. This is about mm-hmm. a different type of power. It's about us, not me, yeah. but us, yeah. right? And hopefully we can, in in our path to healing from from mm-hmm. trauma or, or in, in our path to living better with trauma, we, we have we reached that power within, you know, mm-hmm. that the one that we kind of find inside and try to, yeah. you know, cope with it and, and live with it. and grow and move and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, you look at the beautiful trees in the West Coast and each one of them represent their own traumas. You can see mm-hmm. that like, whoa, there was like a big storm yeah. and this this branch, but that's what makes them beautiful, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to romanticize trauma, but all of these different moves, it just shows the story of survival. Yeah. We all survive and we are not supposed to survive unaffected. Right. Totally. I also love this piece you said about connecting and I want to dig into it just a little bit deeper and this mm. wasn't on my list of questions. So feel free to tell me, <laughs> Lindsay, I don't know, or I don't have an answer. I don't, I didn't prepare for this one, but um, you, you said this piece about when I started to connect and, and, and the kind of we-ness of it, that we recognize that we're not all these independent silos that are suffering independently of one another, that we do have this collective experience I find that for a lot of people, um, they either don't connect in part because they are uh, worried about being a burden or um, or worried about how, especially if it's coworkers who kind of get similarly the challenges they face, they worry about how they might be perceived then as not capable by mm-hmm. people who really mm-hmm. need them to show up and have their back, right? So it's not even like about, I worry that people won't see me as capable, but I worry that they may not trust that I'm going to be there for them mm. in the moment that they need us to be ready to do yeah. a thing, right? Like what the next emergency that walks in the door, can they rely on me if they know I'm struggling? So I, I hear that a lot. 
On the flip side, I also hear a lot of people um, share that when they do share with coworkers who get it, it often takes on this very venting kind of form that doesn't always feel helpful. And so I'm curious what your experience has been and how you've gone about shaping social connection around this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that feels meaningfully helpful as opposed to venti or just avoidant. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think so part of it for me is like when people always say, Oh, like if I reach out to so-and-so, what would they think about it? I ask them if your colleague Mm -hmm. reached out to you, would you be upset about helping them? Or, you know, there is joy in helping others. Totally. Um, But, you know, as you said, a lot of times these conversations tend to become like just venting. And to me, that's like an indicator of a bigger issue. We don't Mm -hmm. have mental health covered in this country. In our Mm -hmm. healthcare system, we do not cover mental health. Um, You know, even at work, I think we have to do in workplaces, we have to provide more. I think that venting, it just tells me how much pressure has been built underneath that people just look for an opportunity to just talk about. But I'm not sure if us becoming each other's therapist is the the goal of Mm -hmm. connecting. I think to me, the connecting is about solidarity and recognizing I see you struggling and you see me too. So we are going to show up for each other and have each other's back, including in this moment, including Mm -hmm. in all our realness and humanity. You know, rather than I'm just there having your back just because of this certain job. Mm Because, you know, I feel like in North America, we do identify with our jobs quite a lot. People, second question they ask oftentimes is like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. That's way more than that. You know, we are way more than that. Yes. We are also humans. Most, most important. We are also many, many things. And a, a firefighter or a social worker or a doctor or a paramedic, yeah. right? So I think it's important to connect on that human level. I'm not only here to have your back as a paramedic, as mm-hmm. a social worker. And my team, ev- everywhere at Frontline I work, they always knew, you can come to me and talk to me and I will do my best to kind of, you know, organize the thoughts a little bit together and, yeah. and then, you know, encourage to actually work with professionals. The prof- mm-hmm. the the, the the colleague is not meant to be replacing a counselor. Mm -hmm. You still need to actually get, get with, you know, to a conversation with somebody who knows and who provides therapy. Right. Because the reality is a a big part of this is about intention. Hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was talking to my partner the other day about like, Oh, you know, like all these like watches that like actually like measure like, Oh, you walk 10,000, uh, um, mm-hmm. steps or whatever and and then she, she said actually very interesting that she was like but that's not exercise exercise is about the intention of setting mm-hmm. a certain amount of time for yourself mm-hmm. or you know physical activity or something similar meditation um mm-hmm. yoga whatever we do or that conversation that we have together yeah it's about the intention that we set if yeah. the intention for us is to connect and to actually recognize the mutual pain rather than going home and and drink or or cry alone or or you know watch the same show for the 10th time whatever our coping is or go for like a two marathons in a row whatever mm-hmm. we do to cope yeah. right um we cope alone you know yeah. i feel like we have created a society somehow that is all about it's about cope hope dope and shop mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got to go beyond that you know, mm-hmm. we got to yeah. go beyond that. We got to cope together. We got to have mm-hmm. some hope for our mutual future. Whatever yeah. our past is, 
the, the future is the same. There's this beautiful saying, all rivers end in sea. You mm. have to recognize that, that the end for all of us is the same, yeah. right? So we have to have each other back outside of just the work. And totally. once again, the word of caution is always, please don't t- try to be each other's counselors, um, but actually yeah. reach out to people who do that professionally. Totally. I mean, I think that there's these really cool ways that we can we can choose to be there for each other. Just again, intention, right? Like mm-hmm. you're you're calling it. The intention piece actually matters quite substantially. And I think when what we tend towards is these very off the cuff moments mm-hmm. where it becomes like verbal diarrhea, right? Like I start talking and then it just keeps coming and coming, and coming. And sometimes I'll be even in my head being like, shut up. You got to <laughs> stop it. You can like see other people's faces like glossing over. Yeah. Like I did not know I was signing up for this yeah. when I said, Hey, what's up? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so we've all had those moments. I think we're yeah. like, Oh, that was too much. I couldn't stop. I couldn't contain it. When we open those up, for sure, it gets too big and too much for us, for them. We'll often feel embarrassed afterwards, like we occupied too much space and Mm -hmm. maybe we did. But it's more this piece about entering into it with like, what is my need walking in the door? Like, do I just need to debrief it? Because sometimes we just do need to vent. It's like a pressure valve, right? Like we just need to relieve and release some amount of the pressure so that I can enter back in and continue about my day. Mm -hmm, And if mm -hmm. that's the case, then fine, but I might need to like contain it. Right. So I've actually done this with friends where I've said, I really need to just like, I call it bitch session. I just need to have a bitch (laughs) session about this thing. But I know that if I let myself, I can go on about this forever. So I'm going to set a timer on my phone for 10 minutes I need you to just let me go. I need you to let me rant and rave and be a crazy person about it for 10 minutes. And Mm -hmm. then when the timer goes off, I need you to help me change topics. So I know that I just need the release of this. And then once that time is up, I need to shift gears and I need you to help me just to redirect. Exactly. And and that's the beauty, right? Like you're setting the intention, you're telling them what to expect as well, and you are setting the boundaries around it. I think that's the beautiful communication of this is my need. Mm-hmm. Rather than just pushing, pushing, pushing down, like this is what I need. Yeah. And like people have behaviors and we always tell people to change their behaviors and it doesn't work. And then we are like, whoa, why? Mm-hmm. Well, like the behaviors always have feelings underneath. What am I feeling? You know, mm-hmm. if I am feeling elevated at work, the moment I show up, yeah. you know, if I am snappy at work, whatever that is, where does that come from? What are the feelings mm-hmm. and what are the un Um, unmet needs underneath maybe the unmet need for some people is you know they see sometimes the harshest part of the world Mm -hmm. and maybe they just don't want to know how much danger is out there at every moment maybe they don't want to know how much pain and misery is in this world at every moment Mm -hmm. right so Maybe that's the unmet need, but the feeling is I'm overwhelmed, I'm burnt out, I feel like I can't, you know, focus and all of these other stuff. And then the behavior is, well, I drink drink more than usual. But mm-hmm. we tend to problematize the, the, the problem or I took too much space and I talked about it. Yeah. I, my, my, you know, the like the thing about shame and guilt is it's never useful. <laughs> totally. Right? So if we take that guilt and shame away around, I took so much space. And you can still acknowledge that I did, but I needed it at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make amends to this person, get get them yeah. cheesecake or just 
let them know that I didn't take take a yeah. lot of state, uh, space and I'm sorry, yeah. but I needed it. And give them permission to do that if mm-hmm. they want to as well. Yeah. Right? But as long as we have a backup plan, which includes somebody professional supporting us, providing care for us, just like we provide care for others. We mm-hmm. don't shame our clients for getting care. We shouldn't shame ourselves for getting care either. Yeah. Getting care is beautiful. That's what love looks like. Totally. And we should yeah. not deny ourselves from getting help for my our mental health, right? Yeah. Or for any type of health. I mean, the thing is, that's always funny to me is we'll do it for everyone else, right? Exactly. Like most of the people <laughs> I know who are like the harshest about counseling for themselves are super quick to put their kids in counseling when yeah. they're struggling with something Absolutely. because they know that they want the best for their kids and yeah. they know that they can't get them there without professional support. Yes. So that's like a no brainer. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to them, they're like, no, I just got to like grit my way through this by the skin of my teeth and suffer every moment. Uh, why? Why yeah. are we doing this to ourselves? Yeah. I think it, we need a huge cultural change as well, right? Like we do mm. have that ultra independence, which partly we get from from the US as well. Partly totally. we get from our, you know, like the dominance of the British culture as well, right? Like yes. since the seventies, it always been about you, you, you as an individual. Make decisions, make better decisions, and this and that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we just can't, right? It's mm-hmm. not about me getting stronger. There is no way. No human can deal with it, but some humans have to have this job and take care of others. So mm-hmm. we need to create a way that things work. We can't have people working for five, 10 years and then, or, you know, 20 years, whatever that is. And then, you know, just completely, completely be depleted. Yeah. You know, that is just not right. That is not okay. I, I respect frontline workers and folks mm-hmm. too much to let that happen. Right. I just don't think that's right. Preach, Ash, preach. You know, we need like, to kind of change yeah. that culture and recognize pain. You know, it is okay to have pain. It is okay to feel impacted by experiences mm-hmm. around us. And there is, as you said at the beginning of the conversation, there is no, you know, there is no judgment about feelings. There is no good or yeah. bad feelings. Just like if you look at a beautiful puppy, you are filled with joy perhaps, mm-hmm. and then you 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 laugh and smile seeing somebody who just OD'd is going to overdose is going to fill you with Mm -hmm. grief and rage and, and Mm -hmm. sadness and whatever those feelings are. Yeah. There is no judgment about it. We are going to be impacted. We can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I see it is. That's my two cents. I love it. (laughs) I like your two cents. They're great. Um, Okay. This is my last question for you. My big last question is, If you were to speak to students or rookies who are new in helping professions of any sort, what words of wisdom or advice would you want to share with them or hope that you would have for them to receive to support their career going forward? That's a good question. Um, well, I, I love supervising students uh, for social work mm-hmm. and, and I teach, you know, counseling programs. I really like working with, with the next generation of folks, um, providers, care providers, healers, yeah. whatever they call themselves. Um, for me, uh, some, you know, something that I would share with them is don't feel like you have to know everything. Don't feel Mm. like you have to have figured this out before you start or five years into your career or 10 years into your career. It is going to be a constant growth. And, you know, just like these two beautiful, they say they have two beautiful bunches of uh, rose 
rose. We have two beautiful roses. Let's just say that. Yeah. If one is doing well and the other one is not doing well, you don't blame the rose. Why aren't mm-hmm. you doing well? No, yeah. you change the soil. You look at the light situation. You look at the water situation. You change the conditions mm-hmm. to let the other one thrive as well. Totally. So if you are not doing well, it's not the rose that you blame. It's not the plants mm-hmm. that you blame. It's the conditions that need to be changed. Think about what conditions you want to change. And then hopefully when an opportunity comes up, jump to a, a committee meeting or a leadership position, whatever you can to change those conditions. It is not you. We need to have this mm-hmm. con- continuous growth for decades mm-hmm. and decades and decades. And the way we provide healthcare in 20 years or, or care in general in 20 years is going to be very different from the way it is today. Just yeah. like today, it's very, very different from what it was 20 yeah. years ago. We are going to be part of that change. So I will just tell them, give yourself a chance, ch- a chance to grow and don't blame mm-hmm. the rose. Change the condition in which that rose is, is growing. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I love that as advice for people who are just starting out and are figuring out how to find their footing in all of this because it is, it's new and uncomfortable mm-hmm. and there's such a huge learning curve. It's it's hard to kind of get to that place where you feel like I'm not questioning myself every minute yeah. that I'm doing the job in a job that's just very hard and exposed. Absolutely. And we always tend to look at other people and can pardon my language, but be like, they've got their shit together. Right. And if you talk to them and they were honest, nobody nope. has. Everybody's nobody. struggling in different ways. Yeah. So <laughs> Totally. Just ask their therapist. I can exactly. tell you. <laughs> just ask their therapist. They'll tell you. Nobody's doing, you know, like nobody has figured this out. Um, totally. You know, the... the we have people have different struggles, but everybody has a struggles nonetheless. Yeah, totally. I love it. Ash, thank you so much for joining me pleasure. today and for your time. It was so much fun getting to chat with you. I feel like thank you and you, I would have you. a really great time having coffee and we could probably Absolutely. go on for hours. Absolutely. I love, it. love it. Thank uh, you so much for having me. And thank you so much for doing what you do. Um, t- taking care of the carers, taking care of people that sometimes don't give themselves permission to be taken care of is a lot of work. And I really appreciate what you do. And I really appreciate you have a podcast to make sure that these good people, the people that I, that I know and I care about are well taken care of. Hmm. Thanks so much for that. I really My appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. I want to say one more big thank you to my guest for today. It is so wonderful to get to have this opportunity to talk to some incredible and amazing people who have been out there doing the work, seeing the stuff, and figuring out how to hold it differently. I'm so grateful for the willingness of these incredible people to jump on with me, share their stories, and share with you the various ways that they're learning and finding to move through this kind of work with some amount of sanity intact. I think we can all take something really special from that. As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. If you have any feedback for my amazing guest today, please let me know and I'm happy to pass it along. I continue to be so amazed and inspired by this community that we are building and creating together. 
I'm so grateful for your support and that many of you are so incredibly keen to share about Behind the Line to others on the front lines. Thank you so much for sharing with those you know. I want to let you know that we do have ways to support sharing. So if you reach out to me, I can send you posters and cards and all kinds of other ways that you can share with your workplace and your colleagues about Behind the Line and our other resources. Also know that you can share any of our social media posts or forward any of our emails that we send you with reminders about the show. We just want more people to be supported. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Many of our summer series uh, episodes will be videotaped, and we will include those recordings on YouTube. So check those out if you want to join us in real life. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes, or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, and you can access our email list by clicking to get our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which helps you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of our different resources available to you guys because the work you do really, really matters to our communities, but way more than that, you matter. Your life matters, and the people who matter to you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, but as well in your very real and amazing life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.